welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast. Hope you're doing all right. Wherever you are, doing whatever it is that you do, walking the dog, on the treadmill, in the car. Uh, I just got back from a little road trip where I spent about 16 hours in the car and got to catch up on listening to some other podcasts, which I hadn't done in a while since uh, I've been home, because that's typically where I listen to them. So if you're in the car, 10 and 2, buddy, 10 and 2, eyes straight ahead. Keep your eyes on the road and the hands upon the wheel. Hey, today I've got a topic that has been much requested, and I can only give you so much of my input on how I deal with uh, stage fright. But I have an expert who reached out all the way from Scotland, who is a performer. She uh, she's a, she's a kind of a combo hybrid person, right? Like I am. I'm a teacher and I'm a comedian. She is a hypnotherapist and she's a folk singer, rocker. Uh, gets out the guitar and plays and jams a little bit. So she's experienced stage fright firsthand, but with hypnotherapy, she's learned how to deal with it. And she's got some other great tips on how you can kind of dial it in on stage and put all those distracting fears and concerns to the side so you can be there for your audience. Very, very interesting and uh, lots of actionable tips on today's podcast. So I'm very excited, especially for those of you who this is the one thing that's holding you back. You want to get on stage and you've written some jokes, but you just didn't know how you could get that heart to slow down and that focus to zero in. She's going to help you. Her name is Elisa DiNapoli, and she's the author of Dare to be Seen from Stage Fright to Stage Presence. Like I say, tons of great advice. We get in there and talk about the brain a little bit, talk about the nervous system, talk about panic attacks, talk about pre-show aerobic exercises, talk about mental strategies, all kinds of great things. So I think no matter where you are in your stage performing, whether you're fairly comfortable or hit and miss or terrified of getting up there, there is something for you today. And you want to make sure you listen to the entire podcast or check out the show notes. Elisa is also offering up her book for free to School of Laughs listeners. Uh, If you can get that by going to hypnotichealing.co.uk forward slash school of laughs. But listen to her and then uh, jump in there and grab that at the end of the podcast. Great stuff. I do want to thank our Patreon sponsor for this episode, Rhonda Corey. Rhonda, I'm, I'm, I see you there, girl. Rhonda's been doing a lot of cool things during the quarantine. Uh, my favorite is this Talk is Cheap uh, StreamYard Facebook Live podcast experience thing. It's very cool. I was a guest on it uh, a few weeks into it. Now she's cranked out a ton of episodes. You can find her on Facebook, Rhonda Corey, or look up Talk is Cheap with Rhonda Corey on Facebook and listen in Sunday nights. Uh, she puts out a new episode and it's uh, always good people. A lot of the, the guests you've uh, maybe familiar with through this podcast or through the Christian comedy association or, or different places, but there's usually somebody I haven't met before. or haven't heard of, and that's also cool to uh, learn about some new folks. All right, let's get into this episode with the one and only Elisa DiNapoli. Did I say that close enough? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you said it close enough. Perfect. Very good. And tell everybody where you're where you're talking to me from. I think they'll find this interesting too. Yeah, well, um, I'm Italian, but I'm not calling from Italy. I'm calling from Edinburgh, Scotland. Very good. And Scotland's got just, a, I think everybody who hasn't been there can't wait to go there. Just like, 
Ireland and Rome and some other places? Well, the old city is it's just uh, wonderful. You know, the buildings of, of Edinburgh are one of the reasons why I moved here because they're just so so full of character. They're old and uh, St. Giles Cathedral has got a lot of history. And um, if you're not a city dweller, you can also go to the Highlands where, um, you know, you can just roam free in the moors. <laughs> that is like 200 years ago. <laughs> That's great. So uh, we talked through email a couple of times last week and, and you, you reached out because you have some tips on overcoming stage fright. And then we connected online a little bit more and I'm like, well, this girl knows what she's talking about for sure. Cause not only uh, can she help other people with that, she dealt with it and used to rock out on stage pretty hard too. It's almost uh, some, from some of the pictures pretty intensely. Uh, so before <laughs> we get into the, the stage fright thing, tell me about the music that you were doing and then uh, if you, sometimes solo, sometimes by yourself. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm now scared about what you actually saw. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I used to, um, have a band. I had several bands, but you know, I, I did all kinds of different music because um, I've been doing this for uh, God for 20, 20 more years. So I've got, you know, I've done rock music, folk music, electronica, blues, jazz. You know, the only thing I probably haven't done is like hip hop or metal or you know something like that. But yeah, I used to have a huge big problem with stage fright. You know, I, it was pretty bad, um, and it was very painful because almost uh, gave up completely. You know, performing because of it. I did the fringe at the Edinburgh Festival a couple of times, and man, every time before uh, the the actual show. I would have a bit of a breakdown, you know, and, and uh, I, tr I tried everything, you know, I tried uh, drinking wine and that, that was not good, you know, I just would forget half of the, the, <laughs> the lyrics of the song, you know, I just I had very bad experiences with that, you know, I tried beta blockers and, you know, terrible, well, it wasn't terrible with beta blockers, but I felt a bit of like a zombie, you know, I just, uh, I was like, yeah, it's kind of like being watching a, a TV of yourself doing something like you're distancing yourself from the actual experience. So that was weird. And, you know, tried, uh, tried improv, uh, which was um, very good. Um, it did teach me a lot about being in the present. Um, and, you know, some people are, you know, very scared of improv because they think, Oh my God, you know, you have to be very, very, very confident to be able to improvise. But actually I, it's not, really true because you can you can just be yourself um uh, but anyway I'm, I'm i'm digressing um so yeah i i had a problem and i didn't know how to solve it and i tried all kinds of things and some partially worked some didn't some didn't at all and then i was really about to give up when i you know it just occurred to me even though i'd been a hypnotherapist for quite a while to actually use hypnotherapy to to help myself um but you know it's like fish being in water you know you you, you don't see the water you just mm -hmm. take it for granted yeah so that's when i thought um yeah i have to do something about this and then i i started um basically researching asking colleagues seeing clients with the same problem and uh, and then and then applying it to myself which was what I really wanted to do, which allowed me to rock a little bit more and have a lot more fun on stage. Did you feel like the uh, the stage fright would amplify with a, a bigger event or with a, sometimes 
for comedians, a smaller crowd is more terrifying. Um, and you've mentioned Edinburgh, man, the, just the pressure. I know that it takes a ton of work just to get people in the room to see the show. You spend so much time, you spend a whole year working on a, a one person show or a group with sketch, you know, so there's so much pressure on that going well that when you get to that moment, it's like, it's, it's just so much heightened awareness, which if you have any self doubt, just 10 X is it, you know? (laughs) So was that the case with you? Well, yes, absolutely. You know, um, not only that, but like on my first night, uh, on the, on the opening night, uh, I realized the, you know, the venue wasn't set up the way I wanted it. The Mm. stage on which I practiced was like smaller than what it should be. And the, um, the, the journalist that I wanted to come and, and review the show was actually a really important journalist because it was from Scotsman. It's like the equivalent of New York, New York times, you know, Mm -hmm. coming, uh, he was there on the first night and I'm like, couldn't it have, have come tomorrow or something, you know, when, <laughs> when I've sorted this stuff out. So, um, and I am an introvert, so, you know, it was, it was hard. Um, but, um, I, I had to learn through, uh, first of all, I had to suffer, uh, through it because I hadn't learned those, those techniques. Uh, so it was uh, a bit of a, you know, uh, really, really difficult. And some night I just didn't want to be there. Um, mm-hmm. But then I did start to implement these techniques. And and um, the original question you asked me was about the uh, the size of the audience. And to be honest, yeah, that's, that's an interesting one because I find that if the uh, gig is very, very intimate, it can actually be uh, more intimidating sometimes mm-hmm. than than a medium-sized gig. Um, I think, I, I mean, I have never done, you know, stadiums, you know, but I have done uh, a few hundreds. And that, of course, if you're just starting out, can be, you know, daunting. But I think the important thing, you know, one of, one of the important things that I've, I've learned is that, uh, see, when you s- suffer from stage fright, you imagine all kinds of things that aren't actually real. You know, you go into your head and you're not in the present moment anymore. You're thinking about uh, what other people are thinking in the in the audience. You're thinking about, you know, they might be judging you, or you might be imagining that you're going to have a panic attack. You know, you might be imagining, uh, oh, what if, what if, what if, you know? And that takes you away from being in the moment, being connected with your um, subject matter. And so, therefore, you because you're not there, you're not having fun, the audience can see it mm. and it's it's painful for them you know um they start to suffer for you and it all becomes a big huge embarrassing moment <laughs> well yeah it's, yeah that's funny that your fear they read and then they don't react the way they should and then your fear becomes you you create a reality that wasn't there in the first place you're, <laughs> yes. you're focusing on what if this happens instead of what is happening yes and that's the key is like you say being in the moment it's, it's so it can be so hard plus all that and you're doing a performance of stuff you've worked on that you want to get right if you're if you're in music there's so many more levels of it you know being in tune being in, in sync with the other band members and all of those things so yeah. it's a lot to juggle so before somebody say somebody already knows they've got this problem uh, and it recurs what are some things they can do leading up to performance to kind of get in a better headspace 
Well, okay, so um, there are some techniques you can do, physical, physical, physical techniques, and there's also mindset things that you need to do. But I always like to start with the physical because if you are panicking, you are, uh, your amygdala, which is the um, control center, you know, the, the alarm center of the, of the brain, is actually uh, on, is switched on. And, um, and until that's switched on, it's not possible really to think rationally. Um, because basically what's happening, briefly, what's happening is that you get into fight or flight mode um, which means that your amygdala is sending um, inhibitory signals to your prefrontal cortex, which is all about rational thinking. So basically what that means is you start thinking in black and white and, and life and death uh, kind of ways. So it's impossible to actually be rational. Hmm. So, you know, trying to say to yourself, oh, it's okay, so, you, know, uh, the, you know, to go with mindset, um, kind of affirmations, you know, that, that's only good when you're feeling calm. But if you're not feeling calm, you're panicking already, it's not going to work. So the first thing you need to do is to actually stop the fight or flight um, reflex. And so there's like, there's two things um, uh, that can really help with that. Um, and they are incorporated in what I normally use in a pre-performance kind of ritual. And then during the performance as well. So um, the two things are one has to do with breathing and the other one has to do with aerobic exercise. So the reason for this is basically um, that when you, you know, I don't want to get too technical, but you know, when you um, are having a panic, um, what's happening is that you basically uh your body doesn't know that there isn't an actual enemy out there the body thinks oh there's there's a danger and this danger in the past would have been i don't know a lion or something coming after you right so back in the day what you needed to do would have been to run away from the lion or right. kill it so the adrenaline would be pumping in your body your cortisol you know your stress hormone would be pumping in your body so you're ready to fight or to run away and then once you've fought to the enemy or run away from the enemy, then it's okay. Now you can relax, you know. But the problem is if there is no actual enemy because you can't beat up your audience or run away, then what are you going to do? Um, th these chemicals are going to stay in your body and your body doesn't know that it's over, that the danger is over. So the one trick that you can do just before a show is to engage in aerobic exercise that tricks your brain into thinking, right, you fought or you run away. You know, you've, you've done something super physical, right? So, for example, I like to do star jumps or running up and on the stairs. You know, you, you, you could dance if you want. You know, it doesn't matter what you do, but your heart rate must go up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's one thing that you can do to just release the tension, first of all. And then, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff you could do. Um, you could do, you know, I don't know if you ever heard of power poses. That, that really helps. That only helps after, though, after you've released the, the tension. Um, and then I like to ground myself. So what I mean by grounding myself, very practically, it, you can do a, an actual exercise where you, you stand up with your feet hip distance apart, your hands by your side, 
your, you know, you lift your elbows a little bit because often, you know, we keep our elbows, you know, very close to our body or we, we put our hands by their side. So we're not protecting, you know, we open, um, open the chest, relax the shoulders. We plug the feet into the earth like they are roots of a tree going all the way down. So this gives you a sense of safety and your posture is erect because you're, you know, you're not only you communicate through your posture, but also by engaging in a specific kind of posture, you can influence how you feel. So it goes the two ways there. And then, um, you know, another thing that really helps while you do this, you're, you're standing up in this way, is to imagine a sphere around you that goes all the way uh, to where your hands, you know, um, if you outstretched your hands, that sphere would just uh, encompass all of your body, all around you. And you imagine, like, a, a, the light on. If there was a light bulb, it's on. And this light bulb, it's good to imagine it um, just in the center of gravity of your body because that keeps you nice and balanced and grounded. And it's, some people call that the power center. The Buddhists uh, call the power center that's about two centimeters below the, um, the navel, the belly button. And then once I'm there, now it's time to do some diaphragmatic breathing because diaphragmatic breathing is the second thing that helps you to prevent feeling um, panicky and to uh, also uh, bring it down if you are feeling panicky. And that's because it's... Um, Diaphragmatic breathing engages your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of what's engaged when you are in fight or flight. So this basically means you breathe through your nose, mouth shut for five minutes. It's five minutes, especially if you're actually panicking, because if you, if you are panicking, you need five minutes to calm down. So those are, those are the things just before um, the performance starts. And then if you've, if you've got time, I would add some um, power statements. You know, some people call these affirmations, some mm -hmm. Tony Robbins calls them incantations, but really what it is, is like, this is when the mindset comes into, into it. And you just start saying things like, you know, for me, it would be something like, um, I deserve to be here, or I take up space, or uh, let's have some fun, you know, just, I want to share my, my subject, you know, my song or my comedy you know, um, I've got a message, you know, to give. and But these statements depend on you. So there's no mantra that goes well for everyone. You've got to kind of figure out what the mantras are going to be that work for you. I like that. I like the fact that you've got balance is really the key word there. You've got to get centered and balanced in your brain and your body. And I think, I know for comedians, it's almost always 100% brain if you look at most comedians, the body isn't a concern at all. <laughs> you know, they've kind of let everything else go, but their brain and their mouth, or they're focused on those two things. So they can get very uh, superficial pumping themselves up and doing the affirmations without any of the physical uh, balance to, to hold that stuff up. You know, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to kill this crowd. I'm going to crush, you know, whether that's a true thing or whether they're trying to convince themselves that this is going to be the first time they ever do that. But if they're not in a good, healthy space, body wise, and especially the breathing is important. And that stuff only lasts for a few seconds until the first thing doesn't work and then you've got nothing again. But if you've trained your body to relax, to breathe, I mean, just the endorphins that are released and the fresh oxygen in your bloodstream, all those things that happen from simply breathing, then you're in a much better 
physical space to go out there. And then I like what you say about getting your heart rate up, because if you don't do that before you go on stage, the first time it goes up is when you hit the stage, when they hear, <laughs> you hear your name announced and all of a sudden you've got to, you've got to monitor that and get into your set. But I like the idea of, of getting it up beforehand. So you're already in that space. Your, your body's already got some energy behind it. I mean, those are all super. And some of those I've done and some of them I've never even thought of before, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the power poses I see people do. And uh, depending on how many people are around, that might be something I'd try <laughs> the next time. But I'm, I'm a little more, uh, I don't know. I'm not as demonstrative as some performers. I'm kind of self-contained. So I like the ideas that I can do either or. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, you know, with the breathing, there's also something that can be very good um, right after. So you've got this perform, pre-performance ritual. And then what I like to do is reincorporate the breathing just before I get on stage. So the, the idea is to breathe in always through, you know, as much as possible through the belly. So you breathe in and then you walk on the stage. And as you walk on the stage, you breathe out. Mm. Then you breathe in again while you look at the audience and connect, and then you speak, you know, because a lot of, of, of us, you know, just go there and it's like the moment you are nervous, you just start going too fast. You know, you speak too fast, you move too fast, you're not in your body, right? You're in your head. And, um, and one very easy, if you can remember this uh, way that works, is to use the breath this way just as you walk in and then even during the um the act because as you know uh, if you rush um people actually can't hear you you know they can't follow you it's too fast so one way to not only help you calm down and know that you okay you know i can reorganize my thoughts even if i freak out i can take a moment to hmm think about what I was going to say and it's not a problem but also you're helping the audience to pay attention mm-hmm. because when someone actually pauses everybody is like suddenly riveted and go oh what what's he gonna say what's he gonna say <laughs> you know you know and then on top of that they have time to process what you actually said so you know the whole thing about comedic pauses i i think it's you know part of it I mean, this can really help with finding those comedic poses because you give yourself a chance to actually be there, you know? Yeah, it's more, it's more real. It's a more authentic way of communicating. Um, I talk with comics all the time in my classes about when you know the word that's going to trigger the laugh, if you can move that to the very end of the sentence, then you naturally take a breath because it's the end of a sentence, and that naturally gives the audience a chance to respond with their laughter. And so you can build in these moments where you're actually breathing. If you, if you're trying to, if you're stepping on the audience laughs, then you're stepping on your chance to breathe and all of a sudden it becomes choppy and they stop laughing as long as they normally would because you've cut, you're cutting them off. So even in the creation of material, whether it's songs or, or jokes or stories, having those moments built in where you kind of collect yourself gives the audience that same chance, which again centers them on being with you as, and that's what the whole thing's about. I love that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about connection. The other, you know, in terms of mindset, I think um, it's all about connection. Now, that can be difficult if you're shy because, you know, I remember being um, thinking at the beginning, you know, when I was really terrified, 
oh god you know I, oh god i can't look at people in the eyes because uh i'm, I'm scared of them <laughs> and then um and then I, I was like forcing myself to look at people and then what happened is that i would get distracted <clears throat> from my song or what i had to say um because i'm like oh oh now i'm looking in this person's eyes and yeah. and you know oh god what was i saying you know so um i thought actually one way of doing this in a way that works is i um when when i go first into the space that's a moment to actually look at the audience and connect and take them in and then um and then you know, I mean, there's some tricks I'm sure you know, like about, for example, looking at someone in the middle of their forehead because they're not going to really know the difference whether you're looking them in the eyes or not, but or looking in the distance at the, at the end, at the back of the, of the room. But I think more importantly, to just think that um, you're actually serving the audience, like this isn't about you at all. You know, the whole thing of being scared, it's actually an ego trip. Because it's like you think you're so important that everybody's judging you, but actually, you know, you're. It's not about you; it's about them. You know, you're there to serve your audience. You're there to make them feel comfortable. You know, so um, you're there to take care of them. And once you and you're there to share your uh, your content. You know, whatever it is, your message, what you're passionate about. You know. So when you think about it that way, you can be more absorbed into the content and let that carry the whole gig for you. And of course, you know, you will get distracted at some point. It's fine. It's normal. But the important thing, the thing is to just realize, okay, I'm human. You know, I got distracted for five seconds and became self-conscious. Fine. Now let's bring myself back to what really matters. Hey, just wanted to jump in here just for a second. I always forget to promote my own stuff on the podcast, but I did want to mention that I'm available for coaching calls, and I've been doing this with several folks for the past couple of months, and I just love it. It's one-on-one interaction with you, giving you answers, advice, strategies for where you are in your particular journey. I know online classes aren't the way everybody likes to learn, so if you have material and you have uh, some comedy going on already, but you want to make it better and just keep get straight to it like punch up specific jokes uh, the coaching call can do that we can address uh, strategies for taking your comedy performance to another level we can look at how you can increase your business find out what your niche is all these different things any questions you have about comedy that hasn't been answered on the podcast already or through one of the online classes uh, i'm up for that for coaching calls you can go to schoolofglass.com and go to the next classes link on the top and just scroll down to the bottom where it says skype coaching calls we can do it through Skype, WebEx, Zoom, you name it, or just over the phone. So there's a link there. You click to schedule it on the calendar, and it'll get all set up. Uh, you can learn more there about pricing and all that kind of stuff. Schoolofglass.com. Go to the next classes link. Scroll down to the Skype coaching calls. All right, let's get back into this great interview. Right, right. And I'm glad you got to that point, too, because I was thinking that a second ago. Is It is always about the audience if you're a true performer. Um, there's a lot of ego and it's, you almost need a little bit of that to be able to get in front of people. But if that's the only reason you get in front of people, you're always going to come up short because you always want more and more and more. When you start focusing on giving more and more and more, you could care less. If, if you had a great show, your, your worst show might be their best experience ever. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of dynamics that, and maybe it's <laughs> maybe because it was your worst show, but what you think might've been a bad performance. Uh, if you're stuck in that mindset, the whole time you're on stage will be a bad performance. 
but the reality is the audience is is a they're pulling for you to do a good job because they they gave up something to come in whether it was money or time with their kids or getting a babysitter or whatever it is with your particular audience they're, they sacrifice to come in they want it to work so that should be one you know feather in your cap as you're going in there like okay they want this to work i want it to work but mainly i'm here for them and they're here so you know, just let it go, let it go a little bit and have some fun with it. But, but people still get in their heads, right? In the middle of the performance, they, like you said, if you start looking at the audience, I've learned over the years that you notice, especially with comedians, you notice what's different. That's what, that's what you do to create jokes. You know, this isn't like that. So I'm going to make fun of this. And you're looking at an audience, your brain is trained to look for what's different. Well, it's the one person who's not laughing. So you're, cause they're not moving and everybody else is, your brain goes, what's going on over there? And so you're only focused on the one person out of how many hundred or whatever that are there that isn't having a good time. And that one focus can ruin it for everybody yeah. or at least for yourself. Why do you know, I, I know why we do it, but once we're aware of it, it's so um, empowering to say, oh, I know there's gonna be one person who isn't enjoying. There he is. Okay. He showed up. I'm glad he made it here. You know, just to, just to predetermine in your head, that some things are going to go wrong. Like even with a zoom meeting, like I'm doing virtual comedy shows. And so I just tell the audience, Hey, I've never been on one of these where something didn't happen. So my, my voice is going to freeze up or it's going <laughs> to, so I'm guessing five things like that are going to happen. Let's keep track and see if the over under was right on that. What do you guys think more than that or less than that? So when they happen, you're like, I knew that was going to happen. It's not going to throw me off. If we get through the whole thing, they never happen. That's like, we all celebrate that. Hey, we did this whole thing without it going wrong. But just yeah, being prepared, yeah. right? <laughs> and that your improv background teaches you too that a disruption isn't really a disruption. It's a it's a possibility to create something by acknowledging what's going on. You know, yeah. a little harder to do if you're in the middle of a song and, and the whole thing's rocking in one direction. But as a solo performer or a comedian, you can embrace those odd moments and create something that only lasts that night for that audience. And some of those are the things that go viral and people talk about forever. Right? Yeah, so absolutely. embracing those unknowns. Yeah, and it's like, you know, the audience doesn't want perfection. I mean, if, if they wanted perfection, they would buy a CD. You know, it's like, on the CD, everything is perfect. But mm -hmm. they don't want that on stage. They want the human in front of them. And also, you're going to be a permission slip for them to be themselves as well. You know, because that's really what you're doing is you're, you're channeling emotions you're, you're, that they want to feel. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's something to keep in mind as well. What if you're watching a show, maybe you're the second or third act or whatever, and you notice the the performer before you is kind of eating it or not doing well, or there's tension in the room, almost like if the audience has some anxiety. You want to acknowledge it to the audience without throwing yeah. the, the band under the bus, like, man, that was horrible. I mean, I've no. seen comics do that, and that's like, to me, it's like, oh, no, they're trying as hard as they can, but, but some way to acknowledge that uh, what just happened isn't going to happen the rest of the night. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. In that case, no, I wouldn't bring attention to it because that's humiliating for the other person. Yeah. You know, that's not fair. But what I would do is, you know, say that something is a bit boring, you know, then obviously we need to raise uh, the um, excitement, you know, and uh, without referencing the boring part. Mm -hmm. You know, just to wake everybody up, you know, right. and just be like, okay, here, here it is. Um, pay attention to me, you know, or something, but, you know, making it funny as right. well. You know, right. so it's, it's not desperate. It's like, pay attention to me. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. there's a phrase a lot of, a lot of performers use, com comedians, uh, singers, whatever, but that you're only as good as your last show. And if you have a bad show where things went wrong, 
that's a horrible way to live. I mean, the mindset could be, we're as only good as our next show, which gives us something to look forward to. And it's all positive. But, but if you have one of those nights where fear crept in or you, you, you got dry mouth cause you got nervous and the words didn't come out right. You know, how do you erase that so that you can get on to the next thing? It's easy to say you just erase it, but how do people maybe analyze it and move forward? You don't compare yourself with yesterday, tomorrow, anything. You know, it's about now. It's all just about now. So we come back to the present moment, you know. Um, I think paying attention to now is what matters because actually yesterday is an illusion. I mean, yesterday is gone. It's like water going down the drain and never come, comes back. And tomorrow may never happen. So actually, it's all just a concept in our mind. And if we just come back to the present moment, which is the only reality, then we're free, you know? It is interesting being a performer to be in the moment because you're pulling from experiences in the past to deliver and to, to sing about or to tell jokes about. So you're, you, you are in two different spaces at the same time. Are there any tips on how you can make yourself more aware of being in the moment? Like one that I try to tell myself is I need to hear the words as they're coming out of my mouth, just like a person in the audience who's never heard me speak before. And that helps me slow down so that I can focus a little bit more. Do you have any things like that that you can kind of help people with to kind of, you know, you're doing rehearsed material, but making it fresh and keeping a, a pulse on what's happening right now. If you find yourself in that moment where you are not connecting, then um, for music, what helps me is to connect to the emotion of the piece. So, you know, if it's a sad piece, I try to just get back to the music, you know, what's this song about? Um, and I guess, you know, if you if you think of comedy that way, well, you know, everything you are saying is about something, you know, so it's like, what am I trying to say here? You know, what's the story that I'm trying to say about? What's this joke about? So you connect to the, your real, you know, you're not just, re, you're not just uh, repeating a joke that you said a thousand times. You, you find it again as if it was new, you know, as if it was the first time you're telling this joke, because what is it? What's enjoyable about it? What is it really? What's the essence of it? You know, why are you even saying this story? You know, so does that make any sense? Yeah. In fact, that's something I, I've been teaching for a while is every joke comes from an emotional place. You either were frustrated by something, you were excited, you were saddened by something, you were confused by something. And so when I have students write out their first set list of jokes that we, we build up in the class, I, I have a column for what emotion should this be delivered with? Because it does two things. One, it'll hype up your performance value a little bit. Instead of just reciting a joke, you can now be excited about it because you know that's what gave it to you inspirationally. But also you can connect this thing you're excited about with this thing down here. The topics might be, you know, it could be golf and it could be sword swallowing. And those would never be next to each other. But if these were two things that you did this year that were exciting, now you can put them together in your set list because you want to, it'd be ridiculous to start the show excited, be boring, and then end excited. Let's just be excited for three minutes and then be angry for three minutes. That way you don't look bipolar on stage because you're jumping around the emotions. So just being aware of what, and same thing with music, you know, bands will typically either start off slow and build or they come out crushing it two or three songs and then bring it down a little bit. The dynamics of the performance are important. Yeah. So knowing those things ahead of time, I think are super important. 
it's it's interesting that as a musician you tapped into that but that's one thing i try to teach my students right off the bat is you know what are you trying to say is a question i always say because that will help them reframe the premise of the the material sometimes they'll ramble for three minutes I'm like what were you trying to say and they'll say it in one sentence I'm like that's what you start with now the audience can get on that page instead of trying to figure it out for three minutes yeah, yeah, so yeah. those two things exactly are, are great parallels between music and comedy i think yeah. now the, the, you think the same thing happens with um you can prepare yourself mentally by thinking about 10 good shows or how are you going to hit the stage and how the audience is going to respond but if you you could have had a show that was okay and you turn it the next two weeks into a horrible show and replay that in your mind that's kind of training you to fail the next time isn't it yeah, that's basically negative hypnosis. You know, the hypnosis, all hypnosis is, is inner focus, you know, focusing inward into your inner world um, single-mindedly, you know. So um, a lot of people, you know, when you're anxious, what, all you're doing is you're focusing super, you know, intensely on catastrophic expectations of the future or on terrible things that happened in the past, right? So you either imagine or you remember the worst. So you're hypnotizing yourself, you're programming yourself to feel more anxious next time because effectively you're saying to your brain, this is a horrible experience. I hated it. So your brain, your brain's job, your mind's job is to get you, you know, to survive and, and, and live a good life. And it's going to try and avoid any situation that's going to make you feel bad. So then, of course, you're going to have a panic next time you're doing anything resembling that situation that caused you pain. You know, it's, it's yeah. basically being tagged as a negative thing to avoid. So that's absolutely the opposite of what you should do. You should absolutely avoid imagining or remembering the worst. And you should absolutely avoid engaging in any negative inner dialogue, you know, such as, oh, that was terrible. Oh, God, I'll never, never be a good comedian or something like that, you know. And or demand the perfection of yourself, you know, sh such as, you know, oh, I should get it right all the time, you know, because, of course, that's impossible. You're going to fail. And then you're going to say to yourself, oh, I'm a terrible comedian. <laughs> I'll never manage to get it right, you know. Yeah. And I know you help people with this through you have classes, you've got books, you've got multiple things to help people think a little bit deeper. And I'm sure there is. Um, you know, we can train ourselves to think positive, but there may be some underlying issues that people need to address and solve so these things don't come up over and over again. You know, why, you know, just going down a list of questions I'm thinking here is, you might be asking yourself, why am I afraid to fail? And why am I putting pressure on myself? And those could be childhood issues that you never dealt with. Um, the expectations are out of whack. It could be acceptance you know i know a lot of comedians are probably up there just to get acceptance for the first time in their life uh you know many comedians are, are pretty quirky people and they can be themselves on stage with strangers but they can't hold a conversation at the diner afterwards you know with somebody face to face so there's there's two ways to work on it one is is what's going on now but um how do you specifically help people through your courses and your materials deal with the past so that it doesn't keep happening now yeah, yeah, that's great, great question. So the thing is, you've got to understand, there's got to have to be a bit of a detective work first to figure out whether your anxiety, you know, because this is basically performance anxiety, whether the performance anxiety is a learned habit. So you've learned it from someone or it comes from a traumatic event of some kind that can then also um, cause 
or enhance the natural fear of rejection that we all have. You know, we all have a fear of rejection and it's very, you know, makes sense evolutionarily because, you know, back in the day we lived in tribes and if you did something against the tribe and you were cast out, you were likely to die. So, you know, it is it was a dangerous thing. So we all have this fear of being different, of being rejected, and that's normal. But when it becomes hyped up, and this can happen through either a habit of overemphasizing the catastrophic, uh, you know, futures, or over, or um, remembering traumatic events when you did get um, rejected. And you know, when I say traumatic, it doesn't have to be some you know uh major or something you know um like a car wreck or something yeah you know it, it could be something traumatic uh, for you that for someone else is nothing you know but it's enough that that for you it may be maybe it was you know your your teacher exposed you in front of the class and everybody laughed at you when you were five you know that that's enough it could be that could be enough for example so then in that in those cases we need to do work hypnotic work we need to go back to those events and basically reframe those events and empower ourselves uh, so that we are and, and rescue that child so to speak you know that lives inside of us that is still scared you know um, because back then we didn't have help we didn't know what to do so most likely we um we basically formed as erroneous beliefs that we're not good enough because mostly kids, you know, they will basically always think it's their fault, you know? So if something like that happens, most likely you'll think, oh yeah, it's because I'm, I'm not good enough, you know? Um, and then, uh, or I don't belong, that kind of thing. And, and then, you know, this belief becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because then it colors everything you do. And then these experiences, you know, um, they stuck up, they stuck one on top of each other and they reinforce each other. So we need to go back and change that. And one of the techniques I use is, um, well, it's kind of like a, a mix of uh, NLP and, uh, you know, and uh, hypnotherapy and all kinds of other things that basically helps with phobias and trauma work. Because basically when you are traumatized by something, um, uh, it's, it's like you. Um, it's like your uh, your mind is reacting to an event in the present as if it's um, it's reminding you of something that happened in the past. So that thing that happened in the past is not a story. It's it's got. Uh, it's almost as if it's happening again and again and again. You know, it's like people that have PTSD. They're constantly reliving the bad thing that happened to them. And as if it's happening now, right? So they're getting triggered all the time. The fight or flight is triggered all the time. So one of the things we need to do is to scramble those memories, so to speak, and transform them into memories. So they're not happening now. There's something that happened a long time ago. And yes, it was bad, but, you know, it's over now and the threat is over now, you know? Right. And we're not even the same person now who was in that event way back when, you know, hopefully we've, we've developed past it, but it, we keep living as if we are that same person over and over again. You know, I, th yeah. I think the interesting thing too, is a, as an artist of any kind, if you do that kind of homework 
um, there's some super intense relatable things that can be turned into art. I mean, if you look at some of the great paintings, there's so, so much stress and anger in there, and they, they've had a moment that they relived on canvas, you know? Some of the great songs, I mean, just thinking, just songs where people resolved a childhood thing, like Cats in the Cradle by Cat Stevens. Like, his dad never had time for him, and now his kid doesn't have time for him as a, as a dad. Like, that's a relatable thing. Jeez, uh, like, Pearl Jam, you know, Jeremy spoke in class today. He realized this whole thing where this kid was traumatized by one little, um, another kid bullied basically, or my name is Luca. All these different songs are traumatic experiences, but the artist sat down and dealt with them on paper or on canvas or on stage and turned them into something that could actually be healing for other people. So yes. as an artist, by getting into those things, we're not only we're, we've, uh, solving some issues, but we're creating a, a gateway for other people to escape. Basically, the idea is, can you get through, you know, um, get, get through that experience without freaking out, you know? Can you just, so for example, one of these techniques is called the rewind technique, and what you do is rewind, rewind back um, all the events, almost as if it's like a movie, but you're going backwards and you're sort of changing the film every time. You You might make it black and white, you might make it funny, you make often I make into a comedy uh, with a, a nice, you know, comedy music in the background. And you repeat that going backwards because basically while you're in a hypnotic state, which means you're um, also relaxed. So in this way, you are experiencing those memories, but they're not triggering you anymore because you are in that relaxed state. So it's much easier to create the, a story that way. Because otherwise what you can do is just re-traumatize yourself. You know, if you just think about it, and you're not relaxed, then you just could relive it. And then that's no good. There's a lot, lot to process, isn't there? <laughs> when you think about it, but all those things, if we're not, if we don't learn how to process it and how to explore it and how to, you know, resolve if, if that's the case that needs to be done. Um, we just carry that on and on and our stage fright, our stage fears, all those things. And when we talk stage fright, this is not just when there's a light song, there's an audience. People have these moments in everyday com conversations, phone calls, job interviews, you name it. There's a lot of times where yeah. um, we need to figure out what's causing it so that we can get a better grip on things. Um, but it's hard to do by yourself. I know you've got coaching and, and books. So I'd love for you just to mention kind of what you have to offer. How can they find out more? Well, the first port of call would probably be... Um, to um, download my book for free. In fact, I made it available for, for your listeners for free. So they can just go um, to my website, which is hypnotichealing.co.uk slash school of laughs. And they can just um, get uh, my book for free and they can read um, all about all of these things I've been talking about. And then I also have a course that comes with the, with the book to just make it easier for people that maybe don't have time to you know, um, create their own sessions and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so then in the book, there's, there's a link uh, to my course um, that they can access. So that's pretty easy. But basically in, this, um, in, this, in the book and in the course, um, what, I, what I do is I, I have created 10 um, hypnotic audio sessions that are based on what I do with my clients in my clinical practice. Um, so there are techniques that I've used for the last, you know, 10, 15 years um, with 
actual clients and they are the only ones that actually do work, you know, because there's so many things you could do. Um, but the good thing is that, of course, you know, if you if you do this through either the book and you create your own uh, sessions based on my notes or you you do body course and then they're made up for you, you don't have to spend, uh, you know, the, the kind of money that it would cost to go and see, um, you know, me in person. Uh, so, you know, I, I wanted to make it um, affordable, especially, you know, in this day and age when there's so many problems in the world and some people, you know, can't afford this sort of thing. And also, you know, being an artist and, it, you know, often, uh, especially now with COVID and everything, it's not like we're uh, swimming in cash, and, and, <laughs> right. you know. So um, I thought it would be a good idea. And um, so basically, yeah, you, um, you get these 10 sessions and, you know, um, there's also two bonus sessions on you know, uh, trauma uh, because, you know, like we talked about the fear of rejection and traumatic experiences. So there's, there's a couple of sessions on that that are free um, just, you know, to, to try it out and mm -hmm. see if it's something for them, you know. That's great. I appreciate you offering those things up because I, I know specifically I'm thinking of people right now who have contacted me through email or through phone calls or coaching that this is one of their biggest problems they have. And they just don't have, I don't have the tools to help them with it as much as I would like, but I've learned a ton today that um, I know they'll be able to apply and very actionable things you're teaching too. So people can, can hear, understand and, and put it to use right away. And uh, I won't put you on the spot here, but if, uh, if you want to send me a link to an MP3 or a couple of things of you jamming out, I'll, uh, I'll drop that in the background <laughs> as the, the podcast exits. Just so people can kind of hear some of your music. That'd be great. My music is um, under the name of Elisa Vulpes. So uh, I found a really hard name to remember. <laughs> Elisa Vulpes. P-U-L-P-E-S. Like it means fox in Latin. Okay. Got it. What did the fox say? She said, relax and do some hypnotherapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, I, I really enjoyed uh, talking with you today and I can't wait to for everybody else to hear this stuff. So thank you so much for your time. And uh, if I can ever do anything to help you out, let me know as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a, a really fun and a really inter entertaining and interesting conversation for me as well. Thank you. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Elisa DiNapoli. Such great advice, some of which I've already put into use. She talked about kind of warming yourself up aerobically before you hit the stage so that your body isn't making that transition as you're walking out to the microphone. Uh, you're kind of already in that space breathing-wise and energy-wise. Did that on a recent event, and it was it was kind of interesting because I usually do have this little, let's get into it as, as I'm in front of the audience. So now I'm doing that before I go out there, and I'm already into it. Uh, other advice that I'm going to take and apply for sure, but I just wanted to say that I've already used one thing and it's already had a positive effect on my performance. Uh, she did mention that she has a free book only for School of Last listeners, so this is extremely cool of her to do this. Uh, you can go to hypnotichealing.co.uk forward slash School of Laughs to learn more about the free book. And she has a course too, like if you want to learn more about that, you can go to hypnot hypnotichealing.co.uk forward slash get online course and learn more about that thanks again elisa for uh, joining us we're going to hear a little bit of her music on the way out here in a second so stick around for that so you can hear her rocking out a little bit and i did want to read a quick itunes review um, i still like getting these this still does help people uh, when they scroll through see that there's a lot of positive and recent uh, feedback that's important that they see that people are still listening and uh and that they like the podcast. So if you feel it in your heart to uh, give back, not monetarily, 
but through a an iTunes review. Always love that. Can do it on Stitcher and all the other ones too. Uh, let's see. Let's pull up one here from uh, June thirteenth from iFiddle twenty five. I love listening to Rick and his guest. I'm a music theory professor, and while theory is a required course, many students don't enjoy it. I found if I pepper in humor, students are much more likely to stay engaged. This podcast is a great resource as I continually study being funny while speaking. Hey, thank you, iFiddle25. I love it. Uh, That's great feedback. And yes, comedy with teaching goes a long way. In fact, if you're in that boat, you're a teacher, preacher, trainer, or speaker, you can go to masterlaughterclass.com and learn how to apply all this kind of, uh, all these different comedy techniques that stand-ups use into your speaking so you have an incredibly unfair advantage when you speak and get more bookings. All right, I think I'm going to get out of here. I do want to say a quick thanks to all the folks that joined in for the virtual comedy workshop we did through Zoom the past three weeks. I had a ton of fun. Had, uh, I think, 15 people total take the online virtual workshop. Going to do that again if some other people want to get in on that. We kind of uh, get into the very basics of comedy, joke structure, writing. I give you a few assignments. We share a lot. It's very, um, how would you say, it, there's a lot of camaraderie, and it's kind of a, a fun way to, to get your ideas across to a group of people and get feedback from so many different perspectives to make those jokes stronger. But I loved it. Going to do another one of those sometime soon, and I just wanted to say thanks to those folks. All right, I'm going to get out of the way. Thanks again, Rhonda Corey. Check her out. She has the Talk is Cheap thing on Facebook and other platforms Sunday nights. Uh, Check her out, support her, and say hey. That's going to do it for me. Stay safe, stay funny, and check out a little bit of music from our guest today on the way out. Take care.